Thank you for being here today. You know, I, I never did walk into the pulpit all those 46 years as a pastor that I didn't realize that the people who came to hear me preach could have been somewhere else. And they came. And I always was thankful. And I'm thankful that you're here today. And I'm thankful that Pastor Malcolm has given me this opportunity to preach. And uh, I hope that I'll say something today under the anointing of the Spirit of God that will help us all to live better. Amen? Is that what you want? I don't know about you, but I come, uh, you know, uh, when I'm here. Now, when I'm not here, uh, I'm not laying out. We're somewhere else ministering. But when I'm here, I walk in. I usually sit over there and and, uh, I just ask the Lord, Lord, do a work in my heart today. Don't let me me leave here the same way I came. Make, Make a difference in my life. So today I want to preach to you on the subject of building monuments, okay? Building monuments. Let's, uh, if you'd stand with me, please, just in honor for the Word of God. And uh, let's begin reading over in the book of Joshua, chapter 4. Joshua, chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 3 through 9. And the Bible says, "And, And commanded ye them, saying, Take ye hence out of the midst of Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. Now let me just make sure you get a couple of things here. Out of the midst of Jordan, mist, that's the middle, where the priests what? They stood firm. They were there. And that's important because we're going to see some things here. And you shall carry them over with you and leave them at the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared for the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan and take up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of Jordan. And the Lord spake unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them into the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests, which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. Now let me stop, make sure we don't ever misunderstand this. We're going to see the stones that these 12, one from each tribe, took out. And they're going to set them up on on the east bank of Jordan. But Moses now, uh, excuse me, Joshua now, took upon himself to right there. He, he, He puts some stones right in the middle of it. Now when you go on to the end of the book, you find that they're still there. And when, when he finished writing the book, these stones are still there. Now, I don't think they're there today, but they were there. And so you've got to understand that Moses is going to put, a, 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 a Moses, Joshua is going to put the stones right in the mist. You got it? Now, look, if you would, at verse number 19. And we begin to see these stones that were carried out. And the people came up out of Jordan unto the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall say unto your children, Excuse me, then you shall let your children know saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. And all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, 
that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. Father, I do pray now for your anointing. I pray for your blessing today. And God, every one of us today need to be able to point back to where we've seen your hand and we've seen you at work. And so, Lord, I pray for your help. I pray for your strength. And as you help us today, we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, before you sit down, I want you to look right at me for a moment. How many of us would be very honest today and would say, you know what? It gets tougher and tougher to hang in there, doesn't it? Amen? It gets tougher and tougher to hang in there. And today, what I want you to understand, when we read this portion of Scripture, what what God had instructed Joshua to do was to build these monuments, this monument. And that when he built the monument, then when, when the children would pass by, when they would pass by, they would remember that God had taken care of them. Now, I don't know about you, but I need many, many times to be reminded of how God has taken care of me. How about you? Because the battle is still the battle. Amen. Did anybody have a battle this week with the devil? I I mean, if if you got a week off, then I don't know what you have, but would you just rub some of it on me? I find I don't even get a day off. There's no vacation. The battle is real. And today, let's look at why we need to build monuments in our life, just like Joshua built this one. Amen? You may be seated. Now, some of the things that the devil does to all of us is he tries to make us doubt whether or not we're saved. Amen. If you say, I've never doubted whether I was saved, then I doubt that you even can think very well. Because the enemy can always try to make you doubt. Isn't that right? And have you ever doubted what God called you to do and told you to do and said, well, should I really do that? I mean, should I really do that? Have you ever served? And while you're serving, you say, you know, did did the Lord really ask me to serve there? I mean, should I be serving there? And I mean, and on and on and on it goes. Amen. So today we want to talk about the importance of a monument because even though they're silent, they remind us of the times of strength that we made decisions for God. And guys, listen to me. When we make a decision for God in a time of strength, we don't want to change that decision in the time of weakness. Have you ever been there? And I mean, boy, I mean, heaven opened up. God just wrapped his arms around you and you knew this is what I'm supposed to do. And you begin to do it. And then all of a sudden, there's a moment of weakness. And you're wondering, should, should I do that? And should I be here? Should, should this be happening? Listen, don't ever change the decisions God gave you in the time of strength when the time of weakness comes. Just hang in there. Look at the monument and you remember. And by the way, they help us combat the enemy. Now, there's four things I want us to learn this morning. Number one, here they are. These monuments help us remember the wonderful works of God. Now, for time's sake, would you allow me to just sort of tell you some of the story and where to go find it? Is that okay? Is that all right? I love over in chapter three of the book of Joshua and they're bringing that ark. Now, you begin to read here in chapter three. And uh, you find all about about verse number three that he's uh, he's telling them that uh, he's going to have them to take the ark of God and they're going to go into Jordan and Jordan is is flooded at that time. Now, I tell everybody where we live in Decatur, Decatur is a swamp that they drained and then built houses on it. And so our, our river, when when our river floods, it just gets wider. You know what I'm saying? It just seeps over. But the old Jordan, now when Jordan would flood, I'm telling you, those currents were unreal. I mean, yeah, there would be some overflowing, but it would just got harder. The pressure and the, the force of the water was just harder. And the Bible says that it was in its flooded season. 
And then God tells, tells uh, uh, Joshua here that what he's to do is he's to have these priests take the ark of God. It's on their shoulder and they're to walk out into the midst of the Jordan River. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a country boy. And I've been around flooded rivers and flooded creeks, haven't you? And the last thing you want to do is to step into it. It'll wash you away. But according to the Bible, they have this ark and the Bible says that they were to step in. Now, if you looked at those priests, they didn't step in sideways. And all of them step in together. I think that guy in the front steps in. The guy behind him, just, they just keep carrying the ark. And they believe God for a miracle. Amen. Now, I don't know how deep that first guy was in and how much current was going around him, but they obeyed God. And when they obeyed God, what did God do? God parted the waters for them. And then they walk right on out into the very mist and they're standing there. You say, what is that? That's the miracle of God. But what are they carrying? They're carrying the ark. Now you go to the book of Hebrews chapter four, and he tells us something about the ark. He tells us, first of all, that it had the pot of manna in it. Now, why did God tell him to take and have that pot of manna and, and to put it in the ark? To remind them of God's provision. Amen. To remind them of God's provision. And then they had the rod in there that belonged to Aaron that had blossomed. Read the story. And when you read the story that the children of Israel were having a problem with authority. And they were looking around and they said, and this tribe said, we can lead as good as the Levites can lead. And, and another tribe said, well, we could lead. And so God said, okay, have everybody to bring their rod and lay that old dead piece of stick. Just lay it down. And, and you've got Aaron bring his rod, lay it down. He's from the tribe of Levi. And they all laid those dead sticks down. And all of a sudden, what happened to Aaron's? Man, it came alive. It blossomed. It made almonds. And God said, I want you to know it's time to stop murmuring. And let me tell you, I have chosen who's to lead us. And the rest of you guys fall in and follow. But you know what he said? He said, put that in the ark. Why? 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 Why did he put it in the ark? To remind them. To remind them. And then you find that he had the, 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 the tablets, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the two stones that Moses had written down, the uh, commandments of God. And he put them in there. Why? It is a reminder. Amen. So when they're going across, these priests are going across the Jordan, what are they carrying? They're carrying something that reminded everybody that our God is a great and wonderful God. Amen. And then he said in our text, in our text, he said, take these stones. They carried 12 of them out. They get over there in Gilgal. They put these stones up and he said, what are these stones for? To remind us that it was God who allowed the priest to get out into the midst of Jordan on dry ground. It was God who took us across Jordan on dry ground. It is God who is the miracle working God. And I want you never to forget it. But I don't know about you. I tend to forget, don't you? Remember the old uh, gospel song that says, remember I'm human and tend to forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Let me ask you, what do you have in your life to remind you of God's powerful hand, of God's provision? That when the devil comes and crawls up on your shoulder and says, God doesn't care about you. And the devil crawls up on your shoulder and says, you can't do it. The devil crawls up on your shoulder and says, why don't you just quit? What do you have in place in your heart and in your mind to remind you of what God has done for you? You see, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. And if the Israelites needed to have a monument in their life, let me, let me promise you, I need one in my life today. Amen? Amen? So they remind us 
They, they remind us of the wonderful works of God. They help us remember. Number two, they help us defeat the devil. Look in Joshua chapter 5 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard, you got it? They heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their hearts melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Now, when he said their heart melted, it's simply this. They lost their courage. And then, and then when he goes on to say here that their spirit was, uh, was dried up from them, that, that they no longer had that, des- that desire and confidence they could fight. Do you realize the miracles that God has done for you? If you'll build the monuments, when you get in those tough times and you point back to it, the enemy will run. The enemy will run because he knows the power of Almighty God. Let me, let me give you some illustrations, and, and I love this. Now, as I said, we, we've all, from time to time, maybe the old devil's tried to get us to doubt we're saved. Now, I, I've got to be honest with you. Anytime he's ever tried to get me to doubt, it didn't last long. Because I just went back to the monument I'd built, you know. And when I go back to that monument, he takes off running. But I want to show you a story. I, I love this story in the Bible. Turn, if you would, to the book of Second Kings. And I, I think we've got it probably on uh, where you can look at overhead. But in Second uh, Kings chapter 5, I, I love this story. Now, you, you know the story in Second Kings chapter 5. How that this Syrian, the captain of the host of the Syrians, old Naaman. Everybody know that story? You know that story? Now, you know, when, when I was sitting in church as a new believer, I didn't know any of the stories. I mean, they were all new to me. I can still remember when somebody said in the book of Ephesians where Paul wrote, I wrote down, man, Paul wrote Ephesians. You know, I, I, I knew nothing. When I got saved, I looked at the table of content and I thought Job was Job. And I thought, isn't that neat? God's got a book of the Bible called Job. But old Naaman here, he's the captain of the Syrian army, but he's got a problem. Anybody remember what his problem was? Leprosy. The old boy's got leprosy, man. He's got Let me tell you something. You don't lead too many people with leprosy because uh, they didn't have the cure back then like they have today. And you know, if you had leprosy, nobody wanted you around. And there's a little, little, little gal that got captured and she's there and she's come from Israel and she said, oh, if old Naaman could get back to Israel, there's a God over there that can take care of leprosy. And so the king of Syria sends him back. And when the king of Israel gets the paperwork, when old Naaman gets there, the king of Israel has a fit and said, man, who am I? I'm not God. I can't heal leprosy. And the great prophet Elisha heard of it. And he said, we can handle it. We can handle it. Our God can do it. Now, what I want you to see, though, this, 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 this just excites me. Now, you, you know what happens? He gets there and he's expecting the prophet that would have come out and, and waved his hand over him, you know, or whatever. And he didn't do anything like that. He just said, go down to Jordan and dip seven times. Now, if you've ever been to Israel, and I know pastors really promoting the, the, the December trip to Israel. I don't know any dirtier place or body of water to get into than Jordan River. Now, most people that go want to be baptized in Jordan. And when you get baptized in Jordan, you'll get more than baptized. There's a lot of critters in that thing. And old Naaman says, man, why that nasty water right there? Man, back in Syria, we've got all these. these uh, I mean, we've got some clean streams to baptize in. And they said to him, said, Master, let, let me ask you something. If he'd asked you to do something hard, wouldn't you have done it? And he said, well, yeah, yeah. He said, but then go do it. And he dips seven times. When he dips seven times, he comes up that seventh time. He's healed. The leprosy is gone. He goes back to the prophet and he said, man, I want to, I want to pay for this. I mean, I've, I brought goods from Syria. I want to pay for this. And he goes back and, and the prophet won't take anything for it. But now hang on. I want you to see what happens here in verse 14. 
He said, then he went down and he dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, guys, that's a pretty good testimony, isn't it? And look what he goes on to say. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Now, Naaman is going to ask something. Now, I've heard Naaman preached on many, many, many times. But I haven't heard what we're about to read right now preached on very much. And Naaman said, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules burdened of earth? Now here's what Naaman said. Naaman said, okay, you're not going to take pay from me. That's okay. But will you give me something? And look what it says here. Two mules burdened of earth. You say, what in the world is two mules burdened with earth? You know, they, a lot of, there's a lot of people in the city think country folk are just pure stupid, right? You know, there's them dumb folk, you know, out, out in the country. But this country boy knows what two mules burdened to the earth is. It's a wagon load of dirt, folks, pulled by two mules. Now, you say, what did Naaman want? All Naaman wanted was a wagon full of dirt from Israel. <clears throat> That's what he asked for. Now, why did he ask for it? Look at it right here with me. For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. He said, let me tell you something. I've met the one true God and nothing stands up to it. But he said, I got a problem. I got a problem. Now watch it here. Verse 18. In this thing, the Lord pardoned thy servant. That when my master goeth into the house of Ramon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand. That was his job. That was his job. He, he, would, lean on, he would lean on him, on, on Naaman. And he said, and he leaned on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow down myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. And he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Now, guys, let me, let, me, let me make sure you understand what this is. He said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go back to Syria. And I'm going to get in my... Now, I can't prove this, but I think it's probably about right. He said, I'm going to take that wagon load of dirt. Because you see, it's the land of your God. And he said, I found out the one true God is from the land of Israel. And so I have dirt from that land. And I believe he piled that dirt somewhere where he had to pass it at least twice today. And he said, when I go past that dirt, going to work. He said, I'm going to remember when I go by, there's only one true God. And he said, I may be in the house of Ramon because of my boss. And because of my position. But I know there's only one true God that I'll ever worship. I might be in there and he might be leaning on me, but I am not worshiping that false God. He said, when I go back home at night and I go by that dirt at night, I'm going to remember that there's only one true God. Now you say, why is that important, Brother Doug? Listen, that's where we live today. Oh, I don't go into a temple called Ramon, but I, I, but I promise you every day of my life, I am confronted with sin and temptation and everything you can think about. Amen. Amen. How about you? I mean, everywhere I look, there's somebody leaning on us. There's somebody pushing. There's somebody pulling. There's somebody trying to drag us. You better have that monument. You can say it doesn't matter. There's only one true God I'm going to worship. Amen. I mean, you go to most every restaurant today. They not only serve good food, 
They serve liquor. Isn't that right? The reason I don't order that is because I know the one true God. I know the one true God. I remember when I used to. I remember when I used to live that way. But now it's the one true God. You go to work today, you see things today that just absolutely, it's mind boggling, isn't it? Isn't it mind boggling? Can you imagine? Listen, think about this today. Did, did any of us ever dream that we would have such a liberal society today that in Virginia, the great state of Virginia, that a guy can dress up like he's a girl and he can start using the girl's restroom and rape somebody in there? Hello? Talk to me. I mean, it's crazy. Is it not crazy? You say, then what are you saying? I'm saying build that monument. And buddy, when you walk out that morning, you know you're serving the one true God all day. And when you walk back by it that night, I'm serving the one true God tonight. And tomorrow morning, I'm going to walk. I'm remembering and remembering and remembering. Amen. Are, are you okay? It's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy. I love the, with Paul, let me just tell you, it's there and you, you can see it, but Paul's converted in Acts chapter nine, right? On the road to Damascus. Remember that? You know what Paul does? Paul keeps telling that story over and over and over again. You know why? Because Damascus road was a monument for him. He's on that road and the, 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 the Lord appears to him on that road and, uh, and, and, Man, he's, he's blinded on that road. And, and he said, who are you? And, he, and the Lord tells him that, that, that he is the Lord. And he said, it's, it's hard to kick against the pricks. And again, have you ever looked at that? that what that was was simply a, a stick that they'd punch an old oxen with to make him go. <clears throat> and what the Lord's saying to Paul over there, he said, let me tell you, ever since the day that you held the clothes, the coats of those guys that stoned Stephen, I've been punching you. I've been punching you. And you'd kick back at it. Again, there's so many things in the Bible just fit for country folks. You ever had an old, old, old cow and you'd punch it and kick back at you? That's what he was saying. He said, you can kick and you can kick and you can kick and you can kick, but you can't outkick me. Old Paul gets right with the Lord, Damascus Road. Then you find, you find over there in, in Acts chapter 22, he's before that Jewish mob. You say, what does he tell them? He tells them his testimony, his story. Amen. He gives his story. Then you find him before King Agrippa over in Acts 26. You say, what does he give them? His story. Because it was a monument. You know, in Decatur, uh, I, I could be preaching there at Decatur Baptist, and I could say, does anybody know when I got saved? Everybody tell you when I got saved. January 1, 1970. January 1, 19. You say, why, did, why could they do that? Well, they're just real smart. <laughs> they heard it 10,000 times. They heard it 10,000 times. That's when I got saved. Do you know what? I, I, people can doubt all kinds of things about you, but nobody can refute your story. And especially the devil. You ought to be telling that story. And every time the old devil comes at you, just go back to the monument when God saved you. Can you go back where God saved you? And as I preached here a few months ago, I said, some of you, you can't go back to a place, but today, let's drive a stake in the ground today. And today will be your stake in the ground. And today we'll point back. This is when I know without a doubt that I've received Christ as my Savior. Guys, the enemy, the enemy comes, but we go back and we're reminded of what God has done for us. We doubt our salvation and then we doubt our calling to service. In Exodus chapter 4, old Moses, you know, he uh, had a little bit of speech impediment. He, uh, stuttered. Isn't that right? 
Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have chosen him to be the speaker on my behalf. How about you? No, Moses was wondering, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And God said, what do you got, Moses? And he said, uh, and, and you find all this in Exodus chapter 4. He said, what do you got? And he said, I got a rod. And he said, just throw it down, Moses. Just throw that rod down. Oh, Moses threw that rod down. That baby became a snake. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm scared to death of snakes. Amen. I won't even watch a TV program where somebody's handling snakes. I just, I, just, I just won't do it. I'm like a Wendy Bagwell. If I got in one of those churches, I'd say, where do you want another door? I'm out of here. <laughs> and it becomes a serpent. And you know what he said? He said, reach down and pick him back up. And if you know anything about picking up snakes, you don't get him by the tail. But that's what he was to do, pick him back up. Now listen closely. You know what that was? That, that was me. That, that rod... And, and, and that, that's just like me. All of my talent, who I am, it's just got a snake in it. I mean, as long as I'm trying to do it in my flesh, it's got a snake in it. Amen? Do you realize you can do good works in the flesh just like you can do bad works in the flesh? But God said to old Moses, he said, I'm going to take that rod. We're going to put the power of God in that rod. He said, pick it back up. And you know what? It was with that rod then that God began to do miracle after miracle after miracle. He said, take this rod, take this rod. And you know, I, I love, I love how you get over in Exodus chapter seven. There before Pharaoh there, and Aaron has got the rod and, 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 and uh, he, he throws that rod down and, you know, and, and the, 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 and it becomes the snake and the, uh, uh, the magicians come in. They said, we can do that. Hey, and then all of a sudden Aaron's rod eats their rods. Are you with me? Somebody said, <laughs> never seen that before. And then you find the miracles as the, as the plagues begin to go. You know, the Egyptians, the, the, uh, they, they had their astrologers and their, their magic men and all of that that could do. The, remember that? But when after, after, after they finally did one of the plagues that they couldn't repeat, what did they say? This is the hand of God against us. This is the hand of God. You say, what was that rod? It was a monument. It was a reminder of the power of Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Remembering what God has done. You find over in Genesis chapter 28, old Jacob is running for his life from his brother Esau. He's stolen the birthright. And Esau said, I'm going to kill that rascal. Well, he said a few other words. You'd have to sort of get in the King James Bible to repeat them. You'll get it in a minute. (laughs) And so he's running for his life, and he's there at a place that is called Bethel. He calls it Bethel, place of the house of God. It's there where he had slept with his head on a rock, and God had given him a vision of, 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 of a ladder and angels going up and down. And God showed himself great on behalf of Jacob there. And he said, well, this is none, none other place than the, than the house of God. And then you find old Jacob. Now he's over with Laban. And you remember how he was deceived with the sisters? Can you imagine? Uh, you know, it just, I, I can't figure out how that happened, but it did. And he served all of those years, and now he's to go back. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of Genesis 31 that God reminded him that he's the God of Bethel. Oh, Jacob never forgot what God had done for him. It was a monument. And when God was saying, I can get you away from Laban and I can get you back into where you're supposed to be. He said, I just want to remind you. I want to remind you that I am that God who can take care of you. You see, we need to remember how God's taking care of us. I I just wanted to take a, a little bit of time and share some monuments with you. Is that okay? When I preached for you back a, a few Wednesdays ago, I talked to you about my call to the ministry. How I was in that church of, at Texas and what God did for me that night. You know what that is? That's a monument in my life. I've done, I can't tell you how many ordination councils down through the years and, 
And uh, young men, uh, we're about to ordain them, and we always ask them, give us a, a testimony of your call. Do you know, when I, when I listen to their testimony of their call, I can almost tell you whether they're going to make it or not. That call had better be real enough to where they can build a monument with it, because there's a lot of times uh, that, you, you know, you, you don't want to go do it anymore. There's a lot of times you say, man, I'm, I'm tired of the battle. I'm tired of the fight. But it's remembering what God had called you to do. And it was in that church at Texas that God reminded me of what he would do in my life. And God took me back year after year after year after year. And, you know, uh, Katie and I, in our life, tithing was easy. Tithing, tithing was, was easy, okay? When I got saved, January 1, 1970, uh, I went to a little country church. Now, we were in a little community of about 100 people, and the church ran 500. And uh, they had, uh, any of you remember the, the old country church, though, and they had uh, the, the tithing envelopes in the windows? Any of you remember those churches? They put, put tithing boxes in the windows. Anybody old enough to remember that? Okay, good. And, and uh, so I, I just, man, I hadn't been saved in a couple of weeks, and I asked what those boxes were for I thought maybe we were writing letters to God you know and uh, I'm new all this is new to me and and uh, the young man that God had just brought into my life to help me and he said well that's tithing Doug I said what's tithing I'd never heard that word before and he said that's giving 10 percent of what you make back to God I said, well, that sounds pretty neat I got me a box of those envelopes and every Sunday now at, at that time my, my allowance at home was $5 a week. Now, I know when some of you city folks say, well, allowance. Let me tell you what I had to do for that allowance. I milked cows every morning and every night for that allowance. Are you with me? I was underpaid. I, I mean, horrible, horribly underpaid. But I got $5 a week. And I, I can still, how many of you remember when we used to have the 50 cent piece? Remember that? I used to take a 50 cent piece. I'd put it in there. I'd lick that baby up. When the offering come around, put it in. Uh, tithing was easy. When I'd work outside the, for my dad and I'd work for the neighbors and I'd get money, I'd take 10%. Tithing was always easy for me. Katie got, and I got married. And she grew up in a good Christian home. Tithing was easy for her. We got married. That's never a question. We got married. We just, we tithed. But you see, we needed a monument. Katie got sick, had an emergency appendectomy, and they, they don't do any of this anymore. Just remember the good old days. There really are some good old days, okay? But I worked for the, for the police department in Houston while in seminary. She worked for Tennessee Life Insurance. So we had two insurances. Are you, are you with me? They don't do that today, but they did then. So she had an emergency appendectomy, and and uh, my, my insurance from the police department, it, it paid. And then her insurance from Tennessee Life Insurance paid. And we got a refund check. Hundreds of dollars. We got a refund check. I mean, we got the refund check. And, and uh, we looked at it and said, wow, something's wrong. So she went down and she carried it because that refund check come from Tennessee Life Insurance. And so she went down to her boss and said, we got this money. It don't belong to us. And her boss said, honey, I've never met anybody like you in my life. That is yours. She brought that home and said, Doug, we, we've got, I think, what, 400, 600? I forget what it was. But we didn't look at that and say, oh, boy, look what we can do. This is ours now. No, 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 no. We, we didn't do that at all. We began to pray, Lord, what do you want to do with this? What do you want us to do with it? And God laid it on our heart to support a preacher in the mountains of East Tennessee. We took that. We sent every penny of it to that preacher in the mountains of Tennessee. Now, this was the day of all snail mail, okay? And we sent it, and about two weeks later, we got a letter back from them telling how that it was exactly what they needed. They'd gone through some sickness and doctor bills. And we sat and read that letter and cried like babies. You know what happened? It built a monument in our life for generosity. You see, the tithing was, well, that was always just, you know, I often say it like this. If you're not tithing, you're not really, really smart. Guys, I, 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 listen, I told people that weren't saved they ought to tithe. Because the promise of tithing is on you whether you're saved or unsaved. Are you with me? Yes. 
Look it out. You think some of you are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. I heard that before. Well, just because you hadn't heard it before doesn't mean it's not true. There's a blessing of God on tithing, right? And I don't know about you. I want all I can get. I, I want it. But God had to teach us that it's more than tithing. It's generosity. The reason we can celebrate last Sunday of a $400,000 plus offering is because of generosity. Above the tithe. Are you with me? That was a monument. That was a monument. You know, the chairman of my deacons for years, Brother Lowell Holmes, one day at the judgment seat of Christ, when I stand there and Decatur Baptist is brought up, I believe God's going to bring old Lowell Holmes up and he's going to get a far greater reward than me because I could have never done it without him. But I'll never forget. I heard it. I heard it at least 500 times. He'd give his testimony of tithing. You know what he'd say? I was driving an ice cream truck. He said, I'm church that, I look, we're at church that Sunday. And he said, I looked, and if I paid my tithe, we didn't have any money for gas. We didn't have any money for food. But he said, I paid my tithe. said, I went to work the next morning, and I won a popsicle contest that I hadn't even entered. <laughs> and it paid everything. You know what that was? That was a monument. That was a monument. Remember, remember that God who took care of us yesterday will take care of us today and will take care of us tomorrow. We have, we have three beautiful granddaughters. If you've ever seen them, they really are. They look a lot like me and, uh, <laughs> in my first life. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, our youngest, uh, the story is with our youngest granddaughter, and they're, they're, uh, our, our daughter and our son-in-law have just done a fantastic job with the girls. And, and all three of the girls, uh, our son-in-law gave them a chastity ring to wear. And to wear that ring that you're going to save yourself to the day you get married to this man that you're going to live with as long as God allows you to live. And so our, our youngest one is an incredible athlete. She is just an incredible athlete. And she had her little uh, ring on. And they were in Hartzell High School. And uh, they, I think they were playing volleyball that night. And she plays volleyball. And she, she comes back out after playing volleyball. And she can't find her ring. She has no idea where that ring is. She goes home and she tells her mom and dad, I've lost the ring. Now, Jessica, my daughter, is a lot like me, so she blew up, okay? You've got a lot the ring, okay? But our son-in-law, pretty calm, but she had lost the ring. She had lost the ring. So my wife began to pray, we've got to find that ring. We've got to find that ring. They'd call. Uh, the janitors had looked in the dressing room. They couldn't find the ring. And everybody had called. They couldn't find the ring. And Katie drove. Now, you've got to get this in your mind. Katie drove to the parking lot of the Hartsville High School. And she, asked, she got on FaceTime with, with our granddaughter. And she said, now, I'm in the parking lot. Can you point to me the direction that you all were parked at? And she said, we were over here next to some trees and da, da, da. And my wife walked right over there. And there lay the ring on the ground. And she picked it up. She gave the ring to our granddaughter and she said, if you ever doubt that God can't take care of you. And that God isn't looking after you. You remember this. Now let me ask you something. First of all, what are the odds that that ring would get run over in that parking lot? It was full that night. Secondly, what are the odds that you can even go out there and find a ring like that? You see, our God says, build these monuments and remember that I am the God who can and will take care of you. My wife says to me all the time, she says, Doug, I can't believe that you're so content. She said, I thought, I, I thought when you retired 
that because you weren't preaching every Sunday and you've been doing that since you're 17 and that you'd just be. But let me tell you, I got a new direction from God. I was in a pastor's conference up in Indianapolis and I was sitting there. And and as David talks about fresh oil, I'm telling you the spirit of the living God came down on me. I mean, it was as real as I'm talking to you right now. And God said, Doug, I'm taking you a different direction for the rest of your life. And I had one of my staff members with me. And I had people that told me that the staff member said to them, said, I don't know what happened to Doug in that meeting, but something happened to Doug. Let me tell you what happened to me. God built a monument right there. That God has a different call and a different plan on my life. I'm no longer pastor in the church, but I'll spend the rest of my life, God helping me to raise $250 million to help pastors and churches and ministries all over this world. And that's my call. Are you with me? And when I want to quit, I just go back and remember. I just go back and look. You see, they keep us on track. Let me give, let me give you another one. Here we go. Number three. I, I want to do like my Brother Malcolm. I want to, I want to finish out, okay? They, they help us stay on track. And, and when you look at John chapter 1 there, here, here's, here's what's incredible about it, okay? Um, when, you, when you read verse 37, 38, and 39, John's talking about when he met Jesus. And John the Baptist, he, John's been following with John the Baptist. And, and then Jesus comes by and he says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And, and John goes on with him and another disciple goes with him. The Bible said too. Now, you got to remember when you read the book of John, John is the human author of it. But John doesn't refer to himself. I mean, John, John refers to himself as that disciple whom Jesus loves. Are you with me? was that to listen all these other guys they'd cut out but John was still at the cross because Jesus looked down and he saw that disciple whom he loved who was John and he said John my mama is now your mama take care of my mama amen but when you read it in John chapter 1 the very last part of verse 39 John says it was about the ninth hour It was about the ninth hour. You say, what's so important about that? That was a monument in his life. John is remembering that I was called of Almighty God. The Jesus that is the King of kings and the Lord of lords has called me into this place called the ministry. And it was about the ninth hour. And according to historians, when they tried to Martyr, old John, they put him in boiling oil and that didn't kill him. They put him on the Isle of Patmos and while he was out there, God gave him the book of Revelation. Amen. You know why? He had a monument to remember, remember, remember. And then number four, they help us train our children. What did he say in our text? That when your children ask what mean these stones, you're going you're gonna to tell them of the powerful mighty hand of God. Now, guys, here's what I want you to get, and I'm going to be done. Look at me a minute. Look at me a moment. Our kids have got to have our monuments until they build their own. Are you with me? Look at me now. I, I, I don't think you got it. I, I, I don't think you got it. Let me, let me say it one more time. Our children have to have our monuments in their lives until they build their own. You know, your kids ought to be able to tell you when you got saved because they're hearing you talk about it. Your kids ought to be able to say, man, my my dad or my mom's been serving here because you're talking about it and you're pointing back to it. I had a lady in our church back in Tennessee taught a girl's class For 50 years. 50 years. I said back in Tennessee, so I'm really going out of back in Decatur. 50 years. Think about that. How in the world can you teach a girls class for 50 years? Because you have a monument that God called you to do that. I don't know if you've ever read the story of Bobby Moffat, one of the greatest missionaries that's ever, ever been sent out of America. Bobby Moffat, 
Robert was what most authors called him. Had a Sunday school teacher one day, and Bobby Moffitt was the only one in her class. And when the class was over, she took all her stuff and went to the pastor and said, I quit. There's no kids in here but little Bobby Moffitt, and I quit. And Bobby Moffitt was who God had his hand on to be one of the greatest missionaries ever. Guys, let me tell you, when you know God's called you to something, you go back to it and you remember and you hang in there. 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 God, call me. I'm not leaving. I'm not moving. I'm staying right where God has put me. So let me close. And let me ask you, do you have those monuments in your life? Do you have those monuments in your life? If you don't, start building them. Start building them now. And listen to me. Parents, your kids have got to have your monument till they build their own. They've got to have yours till they build their own. They've got to see and know your monument and why. This is why my dad lives the way he lives. This is why my mom lives the way she lives. This is why we're involved in ministry the way we're involved in ministry. This is why we give the way we give. And, and, and they know why. Because we let them see our monuments. And we, they, they see it by hearing as we talk about it. Are you with me? Have you built those monuments in your life? Can you say today without a doubt if I died I know I'd go to heaven And I can go right back and tell you, I know when God saved me. I know when he saved me. Has God called you to ministry? And you can go right back and say, let me tell you, I know when God called me. I know when he called me. And the Bible says that his callings are without repentance. If he's called you to do it, stay right with it. Do you know what ministry God put you in? Do you know what gifts of God that he's given to you? And he's used those gifts in the past and God wants to say to you, I want to use them again today. I want to use them. I want to use these gifts in your life. Build the monument. Now I know some of us, when we get a little older, we say, well, it's time to let them young people do it. (laughs) No, it's not. It's time that we lead and the young people see those monuments and they'll build them in their life and they'll follow God just like we're following God. Amen. Amen. Oh, Uncle Bub Robinson said, I hate the devil. He said, I'm going to bite the devil as long as I've got teeth. And then he said, when I no longer have teeth, I'm going to gum him to death. (laughs) You don't quit. Do you know the Bible says that, that there is no discharge from this war. Where did we get the idea we can get out of the battle, preacher? There's no discharge from this war. We're, we're in the battle. Stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. Let, let me tell you right now, I can't run like I used to run. I can't jump like I used to l- jump. I can't, I can't go as fast as I used to go. But bless God, I'm still in the battle. I'm still in the battle. We have the monument to do it.